welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. Certainly a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Good to be able to be here together with you to worship together this morning. Find your place in your in your Bible to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter nine. And if you have your Bible, that's a, that's about the middle somewhere. Look back there at those old prophets, and uh, we'll see we'll see what the Lord has for us to, this morning as we think about the birth of Christ. Just thinking of while we were singing, um, this would be a, a good day for the Lord to return. Uh, his first coming, we don't know exactly on the December 25th, it could have been. Uh, the early saints seem to think it was. But um, uh, nevertheless, it would be a good day for him to come again. And uh, we're going to look, look at that also this morning. You know, the, the announcement of the birth of a child is a pretty exciting time, uh, usually anyway. Um, Many times it's uh, it's also a bit scary, especially for first-time parents. There's a lot of unknowns and uncertainties about about what that's going to mean. I, I thought about um, when the angel came and announced to uh, Zechariah. He's a, he's an older man. The Bible says he and his wife both are really uh, advanced in age, and uh, yet evidently uh, Zechariah had been praying about uh, having a child. Uh, you know, no doubt they did for many years, but when Zacharias turned to go into the into the temple and offer, offer up the incense, which probably only happened once a year, and there were so many priests that um, his turn by lot was chosen to go in, and uh, we know the angel came and announced to him, your prayers have been answered. So we don't know exactly what he was praying about. Maybe he was praying about the coming of the Messiah. No doubt that would have been on his heart as he was there representing the nation of Israel to the people. And um, But maybe he was praying also for, uh, for a child of their own. And that day especially, it was, it was very difficult. To, and many viewed um, as a sign of God's displeasure if, if a, if a one woman was not able to bear a child. So he, maybe he was praying about that. In any case, when the angel came and announced it, his reaction was, um, he, he couldn't believe it. He's, you know, he said, how will I know this will happen? Think about Mary and Joseph also. The announcement, the angel came and uh, told Mary first. And then Joseph, that uh, really turned their lives upside down, didn't it? Can you imagine? Um trying to deal with that and um, they were they were betrothed to each other but uh, not yet uh, married and uh, for the, for married to have a child what a, what a scandal that was and they had to to live with that um, not just then but they really their whole lives and we know that the Pharisees threw that up in Jesus's face later on accusing him accusing Mary and so, uh, the announcement of a of a child, what a what an incredible thing! Today we we can also know the gender uh, pretty early um, uh, if if we choose to find out what the what the gender is going to be uh, of of the child. 
That's pretty pretty exciting too. Sometimes they get it wrong though, <laughs> and that causes causes a bit of trouble. But uh, as we look at Isaiah chapter nine, we see there that God announces the birth of the Messiah through the prophet here some eight hundred years before the birth um, of Christ. And, uh, of course, you can find predictions of the coming of the Messiah in other places going all the way back to Genesis. But here in Isaiah, it's a little more detail that we have about uh, this one that would come and that uh, the, the Jews had, were expecting. It had been promised in various places in various ways. And uh, here we see tucked into a prophecy, a large book from Isaiah, and a lot of the a lot of this um, prophecy is judgment upon the nation of Israel because of their sin. But but intermingled with the judgment is also hope because of God, not because of the nation or the people, but because of God and His plan, His purpose that He was going to carry out. Let's look together. Uh, let's just read verse six and seven, Isaiah chapter nine, for un. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Our fathers, we come to your word this morning. We just ask, Father, that you would uh, just uh, tune our hearts, Father, to, to hear your word and to respond to your word. I pray, Father, that, uh, that you would accomplish your purposes this morning as we Come to worship you and remember the coming of Christ. May we see and understand more of why he came and what he's going to do. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we, we see in this passage, Isaiah 9, the Lord's, the Lord's plan. And if you notice that, that phrase there, for unto us, a child is born, to us a son is given. In that title, we see both the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. He's a, he came as a child. He was born of Mary. But he was also born in the line of David and uh, in fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. In Second uh, Samuel 7, the Lord had, had promised David. You remember David wanted to build God a house, a, a temple? And God said, I don't need a house. I've never asked for a, a house, but I'll build you a house. He's going to build him a, a lineage. A, a promise came of a blessing upon his line, upon this Davidic line. And it would it extend beyond Solomon um, to an eternal reign of one that would come through this line. And we, so we see this child that's coming in fulfillment of, of promise. But he's also a son. He's not a normal son. He's a, he's a divine son, the son of God. 
We see those claims made over and over again in, in the Scriptures in the New Testament. We see Christ uh, making those claims as well. And, and it was the main reason that the Jews were trying to kill Him and get rid of Him because they would not accept um, that He was who, who He claimed to be. Um, we remember John 1, verse 14, where John there writing about this, this, this Messiah, the one that came, and he refers to Him as the Word. And uh, you think about Word or Logos. It's, it was used to talk about if you, to, really, to, to really know someone, they need to speak. You can't know them until they speak. And uh, the, the Logos, Jesus came as the Logos of God the, and revealed to us the Father. And one John says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Colossians 2.9 it says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells, bodily and then then also in hebrews 1 and verse 3 he is the radiance of the glory of god the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power so this this one who came as a as a baby in weakness he was fully man but he was also fully god and it is not something that we can fully comprehend how that's possible, but it's the revelation of God's Word to us. And we accept it by faith. Notice, um, as, the, as the, the prophet writes, he says, a child is born, a son is given. And that he's making use of what is known as a perfect tense or a perfect aspect of a verb. In, in Hebrew, and it was common for these prophets to write like that. It's, it's known as a prophetic, perfect verb. Um, and, you, and you see there, he's, he's, he speaks of a future event, something that's going to happen in the future, as if it has already uh, happened. And the reason that um, the prophet could write like that is because what he's writing about is God's Word. It's what God has said. What God is going to do. And, and so when God says something, even though it's in the future, it's, it's as sure to happen as if it already happened. And that's why He could say a child is born. He doesn't say a child's going to be born, although He's going to be born, but it's just as sure as if it had already happened. This child that would come and this son that would be given uh, came and and from the prophet's uh, vantage point, as he writes about this, he he knows this is going to happen, but he can't fully comprehend what it's going to be like. But they they just know that this promised one's coming, and he's he's going to be special. He's going to be unique. Uh, and we see from this passage that he's going to be a ruler. Notice the phrase: "The government shall be upon his shoulder." That speaks of his rule. And, uh, you know, as we think about Christmas and the, the coming of Christ, we, we think about the babe in the manger. And, and one of the dangers is, as people think about uh, Christ, is they, they think about Him there in the manger. They, they leave, the, they leave the, the Christ 
child in the manger. But we mustn't, uh, we mustn't leave him there. Uh, that, that's the way he came to be one of us and to, to die on our behalf. But he is a, a ruler. Uh, it, it's a little bit like the young, the young man who's trying to get his dad to, to come to church. And uh, his dad said, I, I don't really want to go to that church. All they, all they talk about is the, is the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. And he said, well, well Dad, it's, it's because you only come to church on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> but we need to see a, a fuller picture of who this Christ child is and who, who he is and why he's come. Uh, so for many people... Um, you know, Christmas is just a nice time of year uh, to come to church and 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 just kind of tip the hat, so to speak, to Christ. You know, he was a he was he was a great leader, a great person. He, you may even may even believe you know some of the claims he made, but you just kind of tip the hat. You know, I respect him. But Christ is not someone that you can just tip the hat to. No, He is the person to whom you must bow the knee. He is the ruler. And we'll see in this passage some of the, some of the truths about Him, some of the things that were prophesied about Him. You know, in, in Psalm 2, you think back to the beginning of the Psalms, uh, you have there in Psalm 2 this description, also a prophetic psalm of the, the Son that would come, the that would rule the nations. He's not just a not just a ruler of Israel. He's going to rule uh, the nations. And the prophets, you know, as they write about these things, they were not fully able to comprehend how this Messiah, this promised one, Messiah is anointed, and and a king would be anointed. And so it it, it fit that this coming one would be the ruler. He's going to fulfill prophecy about you know the sitting on the throne of David. He's going to be the deliverer, the Savior. And many also saw the prophecies that related to His humility and even His death, like Isaiah would write later in, um, in chapter 51, remember, but, or 53. But they couldn't put these together. And some even hypothesized that maybe there's two messiahs that's coming. One that's coming you know, in, in humility and suffering. And another that's coming to rule. And they just couldn't quite understand how that they both could happen. And it's often uh, the illustration is given of uh, two mountain peaks. If you, if you look at the mountains in a distance and, and, and there's two mountain peaks, they may look like they're right together. You only see the tops. But if you climb up there on that mountain, you, would, you, you could see that there's a big gap in between. A big valley and a long distance maybe between the two mountain peaks that from a distance looked like they were so close. And, and you see as you, the writing of Scripture often it's brought together so that it looks like it's right at the same time. Same person, same time. The description, sometimes it's even in one verse you have a gap between this first coming, first mountain peak, and the second coming, the second mountain peak, that, and there's this gap between the two, that the Old Testament prophets and, and the Jews were not able to understand that. Uh, 1 Peter 1, chapter 
uh, chapter 1, verse 10 and 12, through 12 talk about that fact that, the, that they long to, to look into those things that have been given to us. They've been revealed to us in the New Testament Scriptures and Christ's coming in the apostles' writing and giving to us things that were hidden unto the Old Testament prophets. And in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, we see the future of this one that came the first time as a, as a babe, but uh, now they sing praises unto Him in heaven. Notice uh, chapter 5, verse 9, He says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This one that's coming is a, is a ruler, and uh, we're going to rule with him. We're going to be with him. We're going to share with him, and we're going to praise him. And as you study the book of Revelation, really from the very beginning there, you see this, this description of this, this coming a ruler, the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came the first time, you know, he was, seemed innocent, you know, helpless as a babe. This teenage, probably still a teenager, Mary, had to take care of him. But when he comes back, wow, he's coming back as the mighty God. And you see John describing him, and, he, and his appearance was so, uh, so great, and his shining like the brightness of the sun, John had to look away from him. It was too overwhelming. And we see this one who's coming back. But the rule of this coming one is not like the other kings, not even like the best kings in Israel. Like David, uh, those kings were fallible and, and, and sinned and failed. And, and even, at, even at their best, they were, they were only a shadow of this coming Messiah that, that would come. And we see here in Isaiah 9, just a, a, a brief description of Him. And uh, Isaiah uses four couplets of words to, to describe this the character, the nature of this coming one. Look with me uh, in our text. He says, first of all, that this one that, that comes is going to be a wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. We, we saw glimpses of that in Christ's first coming, didn't we? As you read the Scriptures and you, and you realize the, uh, the nature of Christ and His wisdom that He had as, he, as the, these learned men the scholars of the day, the, the religious scholars, tried to trick him. They were they were trying to say things to to cause him to say something that uh, he would later regret, or they could use against him. And and Christ, he knew what they were going to say before they said it. He knew even what they were thinking, and uh, he was able to lead them to the truth. He was able to to leave them spellbound so to speak. They didn't know what to say. And the people understood that this one that was speaking was not like other rabbis, other teachers. 
He spoke as no one ever spoke. He had wisdom from God. He was God. And this is the one that we long for, isn't it? This wonderful counselor. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? We believe there's going to be a literal thousand year millennial reign of Christ when He comes back here on the earth. Can you, can you imagine what it's going to be like to be on the earth when the Lord is in, in control and when He's ruling? He's a wonderful counselor. Scripture says here also that He is a mighty God. The mighty God. He's going to not only rule in wisdom, but in power. Now this term mighty God is, is never used of anyone except God. It, in a sense, it would be blasphemous to refer to someone as the, the mighty God. It's literally the mighty El. Elohim. It's the God who, um, who rules in power. It's a, it's a reference to Yahweh, the mighty God. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ, in His first coming, no one would have described Him as mighty. He seemed to be weak in every way. And... Um, and yet, as, as, you, as his disciples came to know him, they realized that he has great power residing within him. And oftentimes, to forgive, to be humble, takes more power than to react in anger, doesn't it? We, we see that part of Christ, this mighty God who came and humbled himself. And, and we're admonished to, to have the same attitude that he had. To live with one another in humility and uh, to have compassion and to have love and to be forgiving. And, and we need to follow Christ in that attribute of His power, His inner power. But when He comes back, there'll be no question about His power. It'll be on demonstration. It'll be visible to be seen. And He'll come back in judgment upon His enemies. He also is described as an everlasting father. And, and here, I think he's using father in the sense that uh, was thought of as a, like, a, like a shepherd who cares. Like a, a father who, who is compassionate and watches out for his family, for his children. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ is a father to us in that regard. And when he comes back in his millennial reign, he's going to rule not as a tyrant, but as a father, one who loves us and cares. He's also known as the, the Prince of Peace. His kingdom is going to be one of peace. You know, the nations long for this, don't they? Everywhere we look, you know, we see wars and fighting and conflict and corruption and and we're never going to we're never going to have peace not not world peace until the prince of peace comes and then we will have this peace you remember when the um, the angel gabriel came to mary and announced to her that she was going to have uh, a child and in Luke 1, verse 31 and 33, the angel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And so the angels announcing to Mary, this is the one. This is the one that's been prophesied about. He's the one that's going to fulfill these prophecies. He's the, the mighty one that's coming. But who's going to bring this all about? Who's going to bring this kingdom in? Is the church going to bring in the kingdom? And if we just do our job and we evangelize enough people, is that going to cause the kingdom to come about? No. No, we're not going to be able to bring in this kingdom. It is the Lord God who's going to bring this kingdom. It's the mighty El. It's Yahweh who's going to bring us about. Notice he says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The end of, end of uh, verse 7. This, this Lord here in your Bible is probably all capitals. Uh, if, you, if you notice the word Lord there, that's the translation of Yahweh. The Yahweh of hosts or armies. In other words, this, this mighty God who, who rules the angelic host of heaven, He's going to do it. It's by His zeal. By, by His... Um, desire for it to happen, it's going to happen. The Lord of hosts. In Psalm 24, verse 10, it says, Who is this Lord of hosts? It says He's the King of glory. The King of glory. He is a mighty King. Well, I want you to, to go back with me in, in uh, <clears throat> Isaiah 9. In the first part of this chapter, the first five verses, we see what the, the result of His coming is going to be. And so in this prophecy here, we just see a, a further glimpse of what is going to happen, and the blessings that's going to happen because of this coming One. And, and as I mentioned, it's, it's really uh, in the middle of judgment upon the nation of Israel. Um, Isaiah was a prophet to these northern tribes of Israel, and they had rejected God. They had turned their, their back upon what had been revealed to them. They, instead of, of worshiping God, they, they took on the, the worship of the pagans around them and worshiped the idols, and they, they just threw out God's Word and, and rejected God, even to the leaders and to the, and to the, the religious the priest, they, they had turned their back upon God. And Isaiah is used by God to announce that they're going to come under judgment. The Assyrians are going to come and take, take them captive and they're going to carry them away. But even in the midst of God's pronouncement of judgment, we see passages like this of coming salvation, coming blessing. And it's looking, uh, some of the blessing came in the life of Israel in, in the Old Testament, but he's really looking beyond that historical time period to a future time when this Messiah, the Son of God, is going to come back and he's going to rule and he's going to bless. Notice, notice uh, here what he says about this coming blessing in verse 1. Uh, this is still in chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. 
In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And so what he's describing here is future blessing. And he specifically talks about the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now that, that was in the northern portion of, the, of Israel. And when the Syrians came, they attacked there first. They got the, the brunt of the first attacks from, from the Assyrians upon the nation. And, and so they were, uh, they were the people there in anguish. He says, in the former time, he brought into contempt. In other words, God brought judgment upon them first through the Assyrians. But now, he says, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. The Sea of Galilee, there in that northern section. And who came in that region? The Lord Jesus Christ came. And, and Matthew confirms that Jesus Christ in His ministry is fulfillment of this prophecy. And notice how Matthew says it in chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. He says, Now when he heard, this is talking about Jesus, now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And so Christ, just as God had promised, uh, fulfilled what He said He was going to happen, even to this small detail about an area of land, Christ went and lived there and spoke to them and brought light to them. And that's what He's, that's what he's describing here. He's, he's using this imagery of, of a people that were in darkness. And when Christ came upon the earth, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali was still in darkness. They were Gentiles. They did not know God. They did not have the promises of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and brought light to them. When Christ came, He was a bright and shining light in the darkness. John referred to it as the shadow of death. And that's the condition of people without Christ today, isn't it? In the shadow of death. They may think that they're living it up. They may think they're doing just exactly what they want to do. But the Bible says they're in bondage to Satan, in bondage to their sin, bondage to their habits, bondage to, their, to this world. And the Scripture calls it Darkness. And the Lord Jesus Christ came and brought light so that we might know the truth concerning who He is and the life that He came to give so that we could be delivered out of that darkness. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness of all, at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, somebody today who says, yeah, I'm a believer. I know Jesus. I believe in Christ. Yes. 
But their life is one that lived in the darkness. In other words, you're living according to the world. John says you're lying. You're deceiving yourself. You don't know what it is to live in the light. He says, and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus came, He, he came with light and life for us. The truth of God so that we could have fellowship with Him. And the only way that we can have fellowship with Him is through this coming Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when, it, when we put our faith and trust in Him, we come to Him and acknowledging that we're a sinner and we need, we need Christ. When we accept Him, He forgives us of our sins and He fills us with His light, with His truth. And we can walk with Him and talk with Him. In the New Jerusalem, <clears throat> Revelation chapter 21 tells us about this New Jerusalem that God's going to bring down <clears throat> out of heaven. And he says this city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of the Lord gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. Referring to Christ. And so in that day we're going to be glorified. Only ones that will be in that city are believers. The Lord is saved. And now we're going to be there with Him in this glorified state. And we will be able to behold His glory. Can you imagine? No, no one was ever able to see the glory of God and live. He is a consuming fire. So that day we will be with Him in glory. That's beyond our ability to comprehend. But can, can you imagine if we were able to bring the power of the sun into this building? <laughs> this building would be consumed immediately, Right? Well, the sun is no comparison to the glory of God. And one day we're going to live in that glory with Him. He is light. He is also joy. This, this, this one, this child, this son that's given is going to bring joy to the world. Joy to us. We sing about it, don't we, at Christmas? Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Isaiah 9.3 says, You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. This is the, this is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's bringing joy. And those that respond to Him in faith will, will be able to live in that joy and know that joy. The millennial rule of Christ is characterized by joy. But we don't have to wait until the millennial rule of Christ to know this joy of the Lord. When we turn our hearts to Him in faith, we receive Him and God gives us his peace and His joy. And we are able to, to rejoice in Him regardless of the circumstances. Have you noticed that? Uh, regardless of whether things are going well or, or we're struggling and with all the problems of the world around us, we can still have the joy of the Lord in our hearts because we know He's in control. He has a plan. 
And we can set our sights upon that day when we're going to be with Him. And He's already dwelling with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. We can have joy. Notice how Peter says it in 1 Peter 1, verse 89. He says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's the joy we're talking about. It is a, it is a byproduct of the Spirit of God that lives within us. It's, it's, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit that He produces in us is joy. Well, lastly, He talks about peace here in, in verses 4 and 5. In verse 4, He says, For the yoke of His burden and the staff of His shoulder, the rod of His oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, those, those of you who know Old Testament stories, Midian, he's, the day of Midian here is when, when the Lord used Gideon to win the battle against the Midianites. His Midianite army had come into the valley there in the northern part of Israel, and they were like locusts over the land for multitude. And the Israelites were all hiding out in caves. They were all afraid. And, and God called a man named Gideon. And He says, Gideon, stop hiding. I've got a job for you to do. And uh, he has to kind of build Gideon's faith up a little bit and, and, and show him that, yes, I'm really with you. And you really can do this because I'm with you. And you remember, God reduces Gideon's army down to 300 men. You might as well be by yourself against the, the Midianites. And God won a great victory there on that day so that everybody could see that it was God who was fighting for Israel. It was God's victory. And God had given them peace because He won the victory. He won the battle. When we come to Christ, God gives us victory. He gives us peace in our hearts. Are you troubled this morning? Is your heart filled with anxiety, trouble, uncertainty? The Lord came to give you peace. If you know Him this, this morning, this Christmas morning, you can know peace. The peace of God because you have peace with God. But maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know God as your Savior. Maybe you only know about Him in your head, but you really haven't embraced Him. You haven't bowed the knee to Christ. Maybe you're tipping your hat to Him this morning, but you haven't really come to bow the knee and make Him Lord. Acknowledge Him as Lord of your life. He's come as the Prince of Peace. The world today is looking for peace, isn't it? They want peace. The world rulers are looking for peace, but they'll never have it until the Prince of Peace comes. Isaiah 9, 5, later, the next verse in this passage says, for, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned for fuel for the fire. Describing the fact that there will be no more battle. God has brought in eternal peace. Uh, you know, the, in Isaiah 
chapter 2, if you go back a few chapters in verse 4, he, he makes a statement here about this peace He's in, the, in this coming, this coming um, time of the Lord. He says, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Uh, national world peace. Eternal peace. You know, the UN has adopted this verse for themselves. They, they've taken out the He, the Christ, the Messiah, and they put themselves in the place. We're going we're gonna to bring peace. We're going to decide disputes for the nations. What a joke they are when they try to do what only God can do. In Psalm 46, verse 9 and 10, he says, He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And that's why He's coming back in this reign of a thousand years upon the earth so that everyone will know who He is. He is going to be exalted upon this earth. He is the Lord. The great God. The mighty El is coming. The Jews... We're in expectation of this Messiah, this coming one, this ruler, this conquering king that would deliver them from their enemies. And we see hints of that when the disciples were with Christ and they wonder, is now the time that the kingdom is going to come? And, and, and Christ was doing things that they could not understand. He did not fit the mold of what they expected. Christ came in His first coming. He he came in humility and in suffering as the Messiah. And this one, he was, he, he came in this image of a lamb, remember? Weakness of a lamb. But he also came in the image of what? A lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And the two just didn't seem to fit together. But in Christ's first coming, He come in lowliness and humility. In the preaching of the kingdom, He was calling for righteousness. He was calling for people to repent and to come in faith and believing upon Him. And we are still living in this time where God is calling people out of the world unto Himself. And He's calling for a righteous people a people that would repent of their sin and come to Him in faith, believing in Him. And He's coming again. These prophecies that we see here are only going to be fulfilled in their finality when He comes again to rule and to reign. And when He comes again, He's coming in great power and glory. And He's coming in judgment. And if you don't, haven't already trusted Him as your Savior, He's coming as a conquering king to bring judgment upon you. When he comes again in this millennial kingdom, it's he's not only going to be, we're not only going to have peace in our hearts, but it's going to be a literal, physical 
fulfillment, and it's going to be an exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready for His coming? If He came back today, would you be ready? Would you? Be, you'd, can you say, "Come, Lord Jesus"? That's what uh, we are to say at the end of the Book of Revelation. That's the that's the that's the prayer. Come, Lord Jesus, come today. And one day the Lord is going to come. We don't know when it's going to be. We're to be ready for that day. Christ, the Scripture tells us, came in the fullness of time. In other words, when God's timing was right, everything was in place for the coming of Christ, He was born. And as you see what happened, all the events that took place, everything had been choreographed by God. It happened in a certain way, certain time. Everything was in place. Well, in the fullness of time, Christ is coming back. When God is ready, Christ is coming back. And it might be today. Have you come to the light of Christ? Are you tired of the darkness? You realize your sin and your need for Christ to come to Him Receive from Him His light. Do you know His joy? you know His joy this morning? This time, this time of year, uh, especially today, it's just the increased joy. And we come in today greeting one another. You can just sense there's, there's a great joy because we're, we're celebrating the coming of Christ. And what that means to us, it gives us, gives us joy. And we can rejoice in that. But do you have His peace this morning? Christ came to have a relationship with us, to save us, to redeem us, call us unto Himself, and give us peace. We're no longer under the bondage of Satan. We can have life. We can have peace. We know Him. And so today, I pray that um, I pray that you know these things to be your own: this light, this joy. But if not, speak to someone or go home and let the Word of God convict you of your need and turn to Him. Turn to Him in faith. He's ready to save. Today is the day of salvation. It's not tomorrow. It's not tomorrow. It's today. You only have promise of today. Let's pray together. Thank You, Father, for the truth of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You, Father, that, that we can know You. We can have life because of Your great grace that's been extended to us, demonstrated in the person of Christ. We can see You. We can know You because of Christ. We can have our sins forgiven. Lord, we rejoice in that. But Father, we don't want to think about only Your first coming. We want to think about Your coming again. And one day you're, You'll return upon the scene in great power and glory. And Father, we'll be with You. And we will be with You in the kingdom and in the eternal state that You have planned for us. Lord, we are waiting for that day. And we say with, uh, with John, come Lord Jesus. We are, we are ready for Your coming. And I pray that's our testimony this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.